Wheel and Stockings. My name is Bob. And my name is Pixie. Welcome to Love Chapel Hill, where our name is our mission to love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Hey everyone, my name is Joel and I'm with Connections here at Love Chapel Hill. And I wanna to speak to those of you that may be watching with us for the first time today, or maybe you've been checking us out the last few weeks. Well, we wanna to get to know you and we want you to get to know us. And one of the best ways to do that is to go on the bottom of the video you're watching us on, either on YouTube or Facebook, there's a link that says Connect Card. If you click that link, you can fill out just some simple information, great way to ask a question or let us know of some sort of need that you have. And we can start having a conversation and getting to know each other. Also, I want to invite you, if you haven't already, to go to our website, lovechapelhill.com. As you can see right here on the screen, right on the main page, there are many options for you. And for anybody else that you might want to invite with you, you can check out some of the old videos that we've had, uh, video services we've done since we've been virtual. Uh, you can also look at all the different small group options we have, Bible studies, prayer groups, uh, different uh, ways to get connected, all right here on the main page. This includes even college students, college ladies. We have a college women's Bible study that meets on Monday nights. We would love for you to attend, to get connected, to get to know people. Uh, you don't have to be alone during this time. Let's do this together. Hope to see you soon. Hi everyone, this is Brooke with Connections and I would just like to personally invite you to join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. for the watch party. We are having such a wonderful time getting together on Sundays, watching the service together and talking and just really being able to fellowship during this time while we are apart. So please join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. I hope to see you all there.
Chapel Hill. Uh, one more reminder about next Sunday, January 31st. Uh, it is a fifth Sunday. And so just like we do um, as part of our normal rhythm as a church family, whenever there's a fifth Sunday in the month, instead of our normal gathering together, uh, we join up with our local partners and the, our extended church family here in this community of St. Joseph's and uh, Life Church. And so we're going to be doing that again next week. So there won't be a video coming to you through uh, YouTube or, or Facebook from us, uh, but instead we'll, we'll be there and worshiping with them and worshiping online. Um, St. Joseph's will be hosting us and they've been uh, broadcasting their services through their Facebook page. And so we'll send you the link to that so that you can be involved with that. Uh, just a reminder that when we do that, this is just one small step. And we recognize how small that step is, but it's one small step of us stepping outside of ourselves uh, and our own just local expression of the kingdom here within this church and recognizing that we are a part of something that's much larger than ourselves. And it's about building those bridges uh, within our community and embodying that here in this local community. So. Uh, we're excited to be with our family and our friends there and uh, excited for you to be with us in that. So today we are continuing our study through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, and we are turning the corner and moving into the ministry of Jesus. Really grateful for Dr. Joseph uh, last Sunday who led us through that insightful overview of the whole gospel. Uh, and now we're going to be moving through this piece by piece through the ministry of Jesus from now um, until Easter, walking through his life with him and following him uh, to that day of celebration of his resurrection at Easter. Uh, today, we're going to be in Matthew chapters 3 and 4. These two key stories about the launching of the ministry of Jesus. Um, and they are separate stories, but they really have to be seen together. Uh, they are interlocked. And so oftentimes they are, are looked at separately, um, but we cannot understand them without seeing them together. And so that's how we're going to be looking at this today. Uh, it's the baptism of Jesus and the temptation of Jesus in the desert. Uh, one of the things that we're going to see and that's going to come really clear in these two stories, um, two things, uh, the power of Jesus that is going to be clearly on display uh, and this foreshadowing of the kind of divine power 
that he is operating in as the son of God in the flesh. Uh, and so we get this foreshadowing of how he's going to be operating in that power throughout the rest of the gospel. Uh, and it will be really clear. But the other thing uh, that is shocking about this is not just the power, but it's also the path. And we see this unconventional path that Jesus intentionally chooses. And it's shocking every time we see him do that because it's not the way that we would choose. And so look for those as we are uh, going through this together. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 3, uh, verses 13 through 17 uh, with the baptism of Jesus. Here's what it says. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus, guide us as we walk through this passage and the passage of your temptation. Uh, We pray for your wisdom. We pray for uh, clarity and revelation from your word. Uh, Help us to see clearly the power, but also to have the humility to follow you in the path that you've carved out for us. Teach us. So your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So um, here in this uh, scene of the baptism of Jesus, we get uh, John the Baptist, who is this forerunner, this trailblazer of the ministry of Jesus. He's been preparing the way for Jesus. We're not going to go uh, into depth with the ministry of John the Baptist um, just a couple of months ago. Uh, we were there together back on uh, the video from November 22nd, so 2020. Uh, if you want to go back and get more of the insight on uh, the ministry of John the Baptist in more of that context. Uh, but so John the Baptist is uh, about to baptize Jesus. Um, and in this baptism, even though the baptism that, that John is leading people in uh, is this um, symbolism of renewal, of uh, this renewed commitment as the people of God and this renewal of the covenant uh, as God's people. And it's this baptism of repentance that John is challenging people and calling people to repentance. As Jesus comes into the water and he's about to be baptized by John the Baptist, John says, I, I can't baptize you. Um, you should be baptizing me instead. And so John recognizes that Jesus does not need to repent. Uh, Jesus is not the one who needs to repent. And yet Jesus still enters into this. Uh, It's another sign of the way that Jesus is representative of all of us. That even though it's not something that he needs, he willingly takes this on as representative of all of us. Um, and, And that is a foreshadowing of the kind of death that he is going to die. It's this death that he dies in our place and for us. Um, Also in the foreshadowing of this moment, 
Uh, we don't just have the death of Jesus foreshadowed, but we also have the resurrection of Jesus. And so now in Christian baptism, uh, anytime that we share in this baptism together, anytime that we've been together on the bank of, the, of Morgan Creek and we go down into the water and bring somebody back up in that symbol of baptism, it's also wrapped up in this life pattern of Jesus, the person who laid his life down and was buried in the grave in his death for us. And then in his own power, by the power of the Father and by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Son raised back up in resurrection life. Uh, so it's also this foreshadowing of this mission that Jesus has come to accomplish and the way that he's going to accomplish it. Uh, at this moment of baptism, we also see a coronation and a commission. We see the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove, it says, uh, and the sign of the anointing and this commission that he has been given in the ministry that he's about to embark on. Uh, and also this sense of coronation, this, this the word of the Father spoken over him that this is indeed the Messiah that the people have been waiting for. This is the king that we have been longing for, the one who has come to liberate us, to set us free, and to lead us into salvation. And so we have that happening. Uh, there's a little bit of echo here as well. Uh, back to the book of Genesis. Uh, in this moment of the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove. And, and so we get this imagery of the Holy Spirit hovering uh, as Jesus is in the water for baptism. And there's an echo there back to Genesis chapter 1 and the creation story. And at the beginning of the creation narrative, we're told that, that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters and over this this chaos moment, uh, and out of that comes the creation, right? And so we get we get that echo back to the creation story. Um, also, there's an echo to Genesis chapter eight and the story of of Noah's ark and the the symbolism of the dove there. And this in both of those stories, uh, we get this combined imagery of new creation. And so right here at this moment, at the outset of the ministry of Jesus, we're given that glimpse and we're given that clue and we're given that sign that Jesus has come to be the new creation story. He has come to bring new creation. This is a, a new beginning that is taking place in Jesus. And I think one of the most significant things that happens here and something that we'll keep coming back to throughout the rest of the day together uh, especially as we get into the temptation story. This is one of the key reasons why these stories need to be seen in light of each other and seen in connection to each other, is this moment, not just with the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus, but also the word of the Father being spoken over Jesus. And this sense of the affirming word of the Father as he says over Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. One of my friends uh, and mentors often points out the beauty of this, that this takes place not at the end of Jesus's ministry. This is not a reward that Jesus is given at the end of his ministry, but it takes place at the launching of Jesus's ministry at the beginning. Jesus has yet to teach the Sermon on the Mount. 
Jesus has yet to tell a stirring parable. Jesus has yet to perform a miracle to heal anyone. He's yet to do any of those things. He's yet to go to the cross. He's yet to experience the resurrection. And yet before any of that has been accomplished, this word of the Father and affirmation over him, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is a word that will follow Jesus through the rest of his life. It will follow him into the desert in this moment of temptation. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But we also have to recognize the way that this word of the Father echoes to each and every one of us as well. This is not a word uh, that Jesus works his way into. This is not a word that Jesus acts his way into. This is a word that Jesus is acting out of as he moves through his life in ministry. Everything about the ministry of Jesus is flowing out of this reality of who he is. He is living out of a place of love, flowing out of a place of love spoken over him by the Father. And the same is true for each and every one of us. That word has been spoken over us. He loves us and he's spoken that and he's claimed us as his own. It's not anything that we could ever earn and it's not something that he asks us to earn. We simply couldn't. But he gives that to us as this free gift and everything about our lives flows over and out of that. You cannot earn it. He's given it to you freely. And that is the deepest truth about who you are. That's the deepest truth about who you are. You are his and he loves you. He loves you. Now we're going to move into the next section here. And we'll see the overlap between these two. Uh, but we're moving into this moment of, of studying the temptation of Jesus as well and the way that these two are linked together. So we're moving into chapter four uh, and look at verses um, one through 11 together. Here's what it says. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. 
So this moment of the temptation is absolutely packed um, with rich symbolism, rich truth. I wish we had a month to spend uh, just walking through all of the elements of this. And we've been through this uh, several times together. Um, and so <clears throat> we won't be able to touch on everything. All right. So there's going to be a lot that will have to be left out um, here. Uh, but we'll We've done it before probably, and we'll also get to it again at some later point. Uh, so today, the pieces that, that I, I'm sensing we're being directed to uh, are, are these pieces here. Uh, first, we get the significance of the setting, given even in just the sense of one word. This one word of desert um, unlocks for Matthew's original audience all kinds of imagery and history that will come to their minds immediately. Remember, Matthew's audience is a primarily Jewish audience. And so he's beginning from that commonplace in so much of what he has to say. And his effort here, uh, he's not trying to uh, use scientific evidence to prove the existence of God. That's not what Matthew is up to here. Um, he is not trying to uh, prove the historical reliability of the scriptures. He's not doing that. All of the people that he is writing to, they're already on the same page together with this common history. And so his goal is to show how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that history, that he is the culmination of Israel's story and he is the Messiah that they have been waiting on together. And so that's the place where he's beginning with them. So even just this use of one word desert, he doesn't have to unpack the context for them. It comes flooding into their minds because they're already on this same page and this shared space together. For us, that's different. Uh, we're removed by time and space from this context. And so for us, we have to do the work of, of digging in to see what is being said here. Um, a, a way to relate to that would be uh, for us here and now, um, if I just said one word, if I said the word Carolina, all right, if I say that word Carolina, uh, immediately there's, there are all kinds of images that come to your mind. There are stories that come to your mind. There are names and faces and places, uh, probably even tastes and smells, um, statistics, events, dates. All of these things come to mind just by that one word. Uh, same would be true for the people who are steeped in the context of, of this story that Matthew is telling. And so when he uses the word desert, a library of stories and histories and nuanced understanding comes to the mind of the people. Then on top of that, he adds this reference that Jesus has been fasting in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. There's a connection there to Moses fasting for 40 days, 40 nights, Elijah fasting 40 days and 40 nights. But the most deep connection here is the time that the people of Israel in their story coming uh, through the Exodus that they experienced together, the 40 years that they spent in the desert, being brought out of slavery in Egypt, then this journey through the wilderness, <clears throat> through the desert for 40 years. 
as they were waiting for God to lead them into the promised land. And so Jesus is walking that same trail again. And we see that. So just the mention of that desert in 40, uh, a backdrop is constructed and unfolded in the minds of the people as Matthew prepares to tell them this story. So he goes on to tell them that it's in that desert context that Jesus is tempted by the devil, by the tempter, by the adversary, three separate times. And so there are different ways to see these temptations. Um, and you can look at them individually. But the most important thing for us to do today is to look beneath um, them individually and see them collectively and see that all three of these temptations have something in common. All of them are a temptation of trust. It's all about trust. And he is trying to strike at the root of Jesus's trust in his father. And in that, there's an echo. There are two echoes. Uh, there's the echo of Eden, and that's where we'll start here. Uh, there's the echo of Eden in the sense in which that Jesus is repeating humanity's story when humanity is tempted in the garden. Uh, and just like he's a representative for us throughout the story, he's, he's standing in for us again and taking our place in this moment again. And so it's this reflection back to humanity's temptation in the garden. The same question that the tempter uses in the garden, uh, he's using a variation of that question again in the desert with Jesus. If you remember the question in the garden when Adam and Eve are tempted, uh, the question is, did God really say that if you ate the fruit of the tree, you would die? And so there's this planting of this seed of wondering whether or not God can be trusted. And the same thing is happening as Satan is tempting Jesus in the desert now. Uh, it's not, did he really say this? Um, but it's if you are really the son of God. Again, though, it's about a word that has already been spoken. Can you really trust what he has said? If you are really the son of God, he says in the first temptation, then turn these stones into bread. Again, it's striking at that root of trust. Do you believe the word that was spoken over you. And I love the way Jesus answers him. He quotes scripture to him and he says it's written uh, that humanity doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And of course, in that, he's talking about the full scope of scripture and the trustworthiness of scripture and the power of scripture. But I think beneath it, there's a more direct connection. Uh, not just to scripture as a whole, but to a particular word that God has spoken. And I think it echoes back to the baptism moment, to that moment where God speaks over him and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And now Satan is trying to strike at the root of that trust if you really are the son of God. But for Jesus, there's no question. For Jesus, there's no need to prove that he is because he, he's already heard that word from the Father. And so even in this moment of fasting for 40 days, even as he's been fasting for 40 days, 
He's been feasting on that word from the Father, that beloved word, and that word of affirmation, and that word of truth, and that reality. And in the midst of the fast, he's feasting. And so Jesus says, we don't live by bread alone, but I am feasting on that word that came from the Father. So there's that echo from Eden where he's striking at that, at that root of trust uh, and asking a very similar and connected question. Adam and Eve fail in that moment of temptation and Jesus is faithful in the exact place where they failed. There's another echo there. So if there's the echo of Eden, then there's also the echo of Exodus. In that moment of God leading his people through the desert, uh, back in the Exodus story, uh, we note that for every one of the temptations that Satan throws at Jesus, for each of those three temptations, Jesus answers with scripture. And so three times he answers back with scripture. And it's so powerful. And it says so much to us about our need to be rooted in scripture and the power of scripture in our lives to shape us and to form us uh, and to give us strength that we don't have on our own. But again, it's not necessarily about the whole, just about the whole scope of scripture. It is about that, but it's about more. And I find it extremely interesting that the three passages, the three uh, scripture references that Jesus quotes back to Satan as this way of fighting the temptation and as this way of overcoming the temptation, all three of those scripture references come from one place. They come from this short stretch in scripture. It's in the book of Deuteronomy uh, from chapter, it's chapters six, seven, and eight from uh, chapter six and eight uh, that Jesus quotes back to Satan. And so out of the whole scope of scripture, he zeroes in on this one stretch of three chapters um, that he quotes back to him. Why is that significant? Because in that stretch of chapters in the book of Deuteronomy, um, it is being recounted the moments that Israel was in the desert and that desert journey and that desert wandering journey. And in that stretch of chapters in Deuteronomy, um, they're recounting that story and they're talking about the places where Israel failed and where God was faithful. And so once again, we have a moment that points back and points to the places where humanity has failed over and over again and where Jesus is faithful, where Jesus is faithful even in the places where we have failed. So from Eden to Exodus, we see that history of humanity's failure over and over again. And Jesus has come to be faithful where we have failed to accomplish what we never could and to set right what went wrong in our story, to heal our broken story line. Every single temptation in this story is about trust. They all come down to trust. And the reality is that Jesus, uh, given his role, his divine sonship, uh, his role of, of Messiah and King, um, 
was well within his rights, actually, to do any of these things. Jesus had the power to do that. Uh, Jesus could actually justify each temptation and he could use scripture to justify that. You could find scripture passages that Jesus could have used to justify that and to defend his right at each and every one of those points. But he would have had to have used God's word to subvert God's will as an excuse to step out of God's way. And he simply would not do that. He simply would not do that. He would not sidestep the way of humble submission. He would not sidestep the cross. And really, when you get down to it, that's what these temptations were about. It was promising some kind of end goal and using that end goal to justify the broken means of getting there. Jesus would not do that. He would not exercise his power as a way to escape his suffering. Instead, he embraced the humble way of submission and showed us that it's not just about power. And Christianity is never just about power. It's also about the path. And if you try to seize power by stepping out of the path of Jesus, then that is a dangerous way to go and a destructive way to go. One of the commentaries uh, that I was studying through said this, again, the devil tries to detour Jesus away from the will of the father, offering him something within his rights, but at the cost of idolatry. And once again, just like from the beginning, this temptation promises freedom from the father in some ways promises freedom from the Father, but it only would deliver slavery to Satan. And Jesus sees right through it. It's not just about his power. It's about the path and the way that he will be exercising that power. As we're wrapping up here, it's really important for us to understand that this, these, both of these stories, uh, these stories are obviously about Jesus. Um, but especially this temptation story. Um, it's easy for us to read this and try to draw out of it um, some tips and some tricks and some life hacks for uh, getting around temptation, for resisting the temptation that we experience or taking some kind of uh, teaching lesson about fasting and prayer and the power of memorizing scripture. All of that is true and all of that is necessary, okay? And all of that is good, deeply good. But that's not the point of this story. The point of this story is not about how we can resist temptation, even though we can draw from that and we need to. But the deepest point of this story is about Jesus. And it's about what this story reveals about who Jesus is, about what Jesus came to do, and about the reality that he is our only hope for salvation. It is about Jesus. Every single conversion of faith to become a follower of Jesus, every single conversion is a coronation. 
and is saying that Jesus is the king and I will submit myself to him. It's not about power. It's about being submitted to him and walking that humble path with him. I find it really uh, interesting that it's not just Jesus who quotes scripture in this passage about the temptation, but it's also Satan. And he takes a moment where he tries to twist scripture uh, as a way of justifying what Jesus could do. And he uses scripture to tempt Jesus to step off of that path that he's supposed to be on and that he has committed himself to. Uh, He is quoting in that moment when he says uh, that you could throw yourself from the top of the temple and God will save you because he will command his angels concerning you and they won't even let you strike your foot on a stone. He's quoting from Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12. And I find that extremely interesting because here is what that passage says. And here's, we're going to close with this today. This is a passage, the one that Satan is quoting. The whole purpose of this and the whole theme throughout this psalm, Psalm 91, is about taking our refuge in God and about him being our strength in times of trouble. Here's what he says in Psalm 91, starting with verse 1. He who dwells in the the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And that's exactly what we're seeing Jesus do in this desert moment. He is trusting in his father's will and he is submitted to that will. As it gets down to uh, verses 11 and 12 that Satan quotes to him, here's what it says. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And that's what Satan is using to try to tempt Jesus. But if you read one more verse, here's what it says next. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. That line right there in Psalm 91 is an echo back to the promise in the book of Genesis that after humanity falls into sin, God promises that sin will not have the final word, that slavery to sin will not have the final word, that desperation and death will not have the final word. But it prophesies and he speaks this word of promise that he will send one who will crush the head of the serpent. The serpent representing Satan in that moment. One who will defeat the serpent. And so even as Satan is quoting that line to Jesus, the very next line prophesies and echoes back to Genesis and prophesies forward to this moment that Satan will be defeated by Jesus, who is the fulfillment of that promise, by Jesus, who is our refuge, by Jesus, who is our hope of salvation, by Jesus, who is our King who conquers.
promises Time and time again You have proven Do just what you said Though the storms may come And the winds may blow I'll remain steadfast And let my heart learn When you speak a word It will come
Hi everyone, I'm Adrienne and I just wanted to hop on for a second and share a little bit of encouragement before we end out um, our service this week. I think one thing that really stands out to me from the passages we read today is just that we all go through challenges and trials and really intense um, times in our life, but that sometimes remembering our identity can really help us get through those. Um, and I, I think it's really telling that before Jesus goes into this period of really intense temptation, God reminds Jesus of who he is. Um, and I think all throughout scripture, God is doing the same thing with us. God is reminding us of who we are, telling us we're God's beloved, um, that we're his children, um, that he gave up the life of his son, which is a very part of himself for us. Um, so please don't ever doubt that you are so loved by God. Um, and my prayer this week is just that we use that knowledge to change how we walk in the world and how we interact with everyone around us because everyone else is loved by God as well. Um, yeah, so I hope that encourages you. I'm praying for you all. I hope you have an amazing week. Mm -hmm.